Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You got your Bibles, and I hope you do. Turn to the book of Isaiah. We are going to be in chapter 31. And I, I want to begin by asking you to think about a, a question I have for you. I want you to, I know this is, this is not a fun thing to think about, but imagine that your house is on fire. All your kids are out, all your children, your, your spouse, they're all out, your, your animals are all out. <laughs> yeah, I know it would not be easy for many of us, I know. <laughs> I think the animals would be easier than getting the kids out, but... Um, what would be the one thing you'd go and grab? What would you grab? Would it be family photos? Important papers? Would you grab your computer? Your cell phone? See, the, the point of, of thinking about this is that when trials come our way, when something happens that make us, it makes us make that decision, it's it's a clarity becomes it comes into our lives where we realize what is most important to us outside of family children what is the most important thing what would you what would you risk your life to get because see what happens during times of tribulation times of struggle times of hardship is that the truth comes to the surface. What we trust in when cricket down there. What we trust in when we are in trials, when something bad is facing us is important. It, it's, it's brought to the surface. We, as we sit here today, we realize that you know, we're facing a future that's going to be filled with increased trials and persecutions. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And if you read the prophecies that we're reading in Isaiah, and we read them in, in, in Jeremiah, and we read them in Daniel, and then we go to Revelation, you know you, there, nobody can deny the fact that we are going to face worse and worse trials as believers in Jesus Christ. True believers. Our faith is going to be tested. There's no doubt about it. What's important? Because as we face this idea and as these trials begin, it's going to reveal who our true Savior is. And is it Christ? Or is it us? Who do you trust? Remember that what is happening is, is that Assyria is out there, and Judah and Jerusalem, has been, they've been concerned because Assyria has taken over different places. They're the bullies in the neighborhood. Last week we talked about the fact that, you know, Jerusalem was sending emissaries down to Egypt because Egypt had wanted to make an alliance. You must understand that Isaiah is not chronological. It doesn't go from one to the other. It, it jumps back and forth through time, through the experiences. But there's a cohesiveness to it because it's the same thing being said over and over again. It's about who do you trust in? 
Who do you trust in? And as we look at 31, we're going to get a little bit deeper into this. Let's look at verse 1. God says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. See, Judah's problem is a very similar problem that we have today. Oh, we believe in God. Judah, they believed in God. They believed that God existed. I mean, they, they knew it from their history. In their own way, they believed in God. But see, they, they didn't go to him as the source of their salvation in all things. I mean, they were God's chosen people. As long as we did our sacrifices on the Day of Atonement every year, we were fine. They they were clueless in reality about the truth of it, that it was not the sacrifices that was saving them. It was a true faith in God, because what did they say about Abraham? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, they wanted to put their strength in something that they could see. Something that they could, was, was actually something that they thought could help them. So they put their faith in, in the strength of Egypt. I mean, Egypt was pretty strong. They had chariots, horses, armies. But what is wrong with that? What's wrong with asking a neighbor for help? Well, many times the help that we're seeking from somebody else or from something else is not exactly consistent with what God wants. For example, if you need money, is it wrong to get a job? Well, no. Why? Because you can work and still believe and worship God. You can. You, depending on the job. (laughs) Let's put it that way. For the most part, you can work and actually make money when you need money, and God, God would be pleased. But in fact, you know, Scripture says, "If a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat." We are to work hard. We are to work smart. We're going to we're to work as if we're working for God Himself. So work is a good thing. So we can do that. It's within God's will, within God's providence that we have work, that we have jobs. But it's wrong to steal. Why is it wrong to steal? It's wrong to steal because when you steal, you can't worship God. Why? Because stealing is a sin, and sin separates us from God. So it's not within God's will that we steal, even if you are the federal government. Stealing pushes God out of the equation. And that's what Jerusalem, the Judah, was doing. They were pushing God out of the equation by going to Egypt to ask them for help. God wants us to trust him in a way that counts so that he can prove himself in those moments that count. When we trust trust in the things that we have and the things of this world, it diminishes our experience with God. Now that doesn't mean that if God has given me the ability to do something, he doesn't want me to use that, but you must understand that I need to know where that came from. I I, I need to, you know, if I, so God, 
you know, oh, God, please provide for me. I need, I need food. Well, you know, I, he says, you know, you need a job. You know, so when I get a job, do I, who am I praising? Isn't that great? I did. Didn't I do great on that interview? I got, the, I got this job. No, you didn't. God got you that job. Who do you, who do you praise? Who do you give honor to? But when we don't, when we, when we look to other things, and look to ourselves instead of God, we're guilty of idolatry. You know, we, we know what the Ten Commandments say. In Exodus 34, 14, For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. If you look at those verses, it's interesting. This is kind of tie into my to our class today. For you shall worship no other God, little g. That word is Elohim. For the Lord, which is Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous Elohim. Hmm, same word as the little God. There's a reason for that. He wants to be our only Savior. God desires to be the one who saves us. He he planned from the beginning to send Jesus to save us. And then he wants us to to look to him in all things in our lives. He wants us our entire trust. He's jealous of our trust and our hope. He wants us to trust in him. But see, we we have a tendency, especially in our society in the Western world, to put our trust in our own little Egypts. Oh, I can do many things. God has given me the ability to fix all kinds of things and do all kinds of things. We were just talking about this morning. I, I told someone this morning that the voices in my head keep telling me that I can't do everything, but I'm not listening to them. We think we can do a lot. God has gifted all of us in amazing different ways. But we can't do everything. We need to trust in Him. God has been plain about His commitment to us. He tells us, John, the Apostle John tells us, this is what Jesus tells us in John 14, 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He wants us to believe in him. So much so that, you know, our hearts aren't troubled. It doesn't mean you're, he doesn't say, you know, don't have any trouble in your life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you believe in me, you have no reason for your heart to be troubled. That's, wow. This week's been tough I've, 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 because I've taken a bunch of stuff on myself and my heart's troubled. I need, I need to put it as his feet and say, Lord, take care of this. And he means it. In Hebrews, Paul tells us, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Don't don't look to money. Don't look to things. God has said, I'll take care of it if you trust me. You know, the only way, we've we, we got to understand this, the only way that we can really experience true serenity in Christ, we need to understand that the Assyrias in our lives are not the real dangers. 
The real dangers are not the Assyrians that we have that are out there ready to attack us. The real dangers are not the trials we have in our lives. The real dangers are not the, the evil in this world that's out to separate us from each other and separate us from God. That's not where the real danger is. The real danger lies right here in my unbelief in God. And I don't just mean unbelief. I mean unbelief that's worked out in action. Remember I said last week that God doesn't just, is not just concerned about the fact that you believe in him. He wants to know whether or not your, your, your belief in him is changing your life. It's called functional faith. How is it working out in your life? Those trials that are out there are not the danger. The real danger is when my life is not filled with the sense of God. When I don't allow Him in. We don't need to learn how to cope with stress in our lives. As much as we need to live in the reality that God is with us, that God has this. And in that process, what he will do is he will give us an inner fullness of him. So we don't have to chase after money. We don't have to chase after possessions. We don't have to chase after fame. I struggle with that. I'll be honest with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be open and honest here. I put our videos, I put the sermons. I, do, I, may, I spend a lot of time putting videos out. And I'll, I get tempted every once in a while to go out and see how many people have watched it. Because it tells you. Sometimes it's four. And what is my first human response? Oh, man, I spent four hours working on that. I got four people who watch this video. And then I see another one. It's like, oh, I got 14. Yeah, I got 14. And then I sit back and I realize, you know what? I bet you that those four people got more impact than those 14. Why am I worried about how many people see it? God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I was watching a video last night. Um from a guy I watch, I watch his video all the time. He's a, he's a street preacher. And he puts out videos. And he has had 85 million views of his videos since he first started. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Google or Google Google will put ads in front of your videos or in the middle of your videos, and you get part of that ad revenue. He declined it from the beginning. He says, I'm never going to put an ad on here. Because number one, he didn't want, he didn't, you have no control over what goes on there. So who knows what's on there? Could be a girl scanning a clad. Could be a, a, an ad for a, a unbiblical Bible study, or who knows? I've seen that in some, you know, you watch a discernment video, and they have the video of Joyce Meyer right before it. I mean, she's, she's, a, she's a, a word of faith preacher. She's a, she's a false teacher. And their ads are right before this video. He says, a friend of mine who does this, who does these videos, he, and he has a page, he says he looked at that. He looked at my 85 million views. He says I, I could be making, I could be making $50,000 a month from Google because of the ads, because of the number of views I have. He says I don't make. It. He says I've made $19 because when it first happened, I decided I have to do what God wants me to do. I can't chase the money. I have to chase God. See, we we got to put God first. We must. Put him first. He will take care of our needs. Paul tells us in Philippians, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul's talking about the fact that, you know, I've had wants, I've had needs. 
Because they've, they've been helping him. The church has been helping him. And he's thanking them for it. He says, it's not that I'm, I'm saying that I'm in need right now. For I've learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. No matter where I'm at. No matter what trials I'm in. No matter how much money I have or how little money I have. I've learned to be content. But see, Judah was not content. They were troubled. They're not living their life with functional faith in God. See, their creed should have been, and they knew this, should have been what's said in, in Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're doing the exact opposite. They're trusting in the horses. They're trusting in the chariots. So what does God do? God sends Isaiah to pronounce a woe. A woe on Jerusalem. And this word woe is, is a word of prophetic judgment. It, it, it's not, if someone says, because uh, he says, I got a woe for you. I mean, that's, it's not a good thing. It's not good. It implies that there's this imminent spiritual judgment that's going to come from God. Because Jerusalem is definitely in trouble. Not from the Assyrians, but because of their own lack of faith in God. God is offended by their turning to Egypt. Just as he's offended by us turning to the things of this world. He doesn't want us to. He wants us to turn to him. In verse 2 of chapter 31 of Isaiah, this is what it says. Because remember it said, in, in verse 1, it said, You do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So in verse 2, he's going to talk about what God does. It says, And yet, He is wise. God is wise. He brings disaster. He does not call back His work. He, or his word. He doesn't, he doesn't say something and then take it back. His word is his word and his word stands. If he says this is going to happen, this is going to happen. If he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he will never leave you or forsake you. His promises are true. He says, but will God will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. I, that verse is a promise to us. In the midst of our trials, God is going to take care of those who are doing wrong. He is going to take care of those who are helping those people do wrong. And what he's, at this point in time, what Isaiah is really focusing on, he's focusing on the advisors to the king. Because here's what they're doing. They're saying, what shall we do? What shall we tell the king to do? Oh, I know. Let's tell the king to go to Egypt. Tell the king to have Egypt help us. They think they're doing the right thing. I do not believe that every person in our government is intentionally being stupid right now. I think they are. They're being foolish. Or am I stupid? They're being foolish. I think they're clueless. Because they don't see the evil that they're doing and the trials that they're putting this nation under. And I'm not just our nation, the world. They're advising to do things that are foolish. The advisors to the king 
did not realize that their brilliant plan of going to Egypt was going to bring disaster. See, they forget this, this whole idea that, see, if God is in our troubles, which means if God is the one who's causing trouble to come to us, allowing it to happen, there's no power on earth that can save us. If it is God's will that I am put under pressure and under trials, there's nothing in this world that will stop it because that's his will. And is his will sometimes to put us in trials? Yes. Why? Because when we're at the bottom of, our, of where we are, whatever that is, whenever we're feeling the full pressure, that's when we finally realize that we turn to God. Remember what I said at the beginning. When, when we are faced with something, we finally realize what's most important. It's God. My faith and my trust in him. In Romans 8.31, Paul tells us, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if that's true, then the opposite is true. If God is against us, who can be for us? There's no one more powerful than God. Everything we see was created by him. It all belongs to him. His will is supreme. No matter what little games we try to play, no matter what our government tries to do, or any government tries to do in this world, God's will will succeed. And we know his will because we can read Revelation. His will is that we all come to faith. But not everyone will because a free will comes into play. Our free will. But his will is to be with us. To have perfection. To be back in the, uh, the, in, in the environment like the garden. The only way out of our trouble, we must understand, is God's way. It is the only way out of our trials. And his word is the only fixed point in all this confusion in our lives that we can count on. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I've been so stressed, under so much pressure, and I'll go to a word, and it's not like the word says, okay, Chris, this is what you should do. No, it's a word that reminds me that, you know what, I'm, my problems really are not that big a deal. God can handle this. He'll take care of it. I just need to have faith. The only way out of our troubles is God's way. Because here's what Isaiah says in verse 3, what God tells him to say. The Egyptians are man and not God. They're man. Oh, they may think they're gods. I think people in this world think they're gods. In fact, there are people out there telling them that we're all little gods. Fools. The Egyptians are, are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble. And he who is helped will fall. And they will all perish together. You understand that the flesh, no matter how strong you can be, the strongest man in the world, your flesh is weak compared to the spirit. There's no match for it. There's no match for the Holy Spirit. It is God. 
God is spirit, and he is our mightiest ally. And he could be our most fiercest enemy. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, if you don't believe in God, well, then I guess there's no God, right? So you don't have to worry about it. I don't believe in the Assyrians. Really? What's that out there? Oh, that, that's, just, that's just a mirage. Don't believe in them. They're not there. Yeah, they are. You don't believe in God? Fine. I'm not telling you you have to. You'll have to answer to him one day, and then you'll see if you believe in God or not. It's not even about believing. It's about trusting. Because the demons believe and they shudder. Flesh is no match. I mean, the body... Flesh is no match. Yes, flesh is no match match for the spirit. He goes on. Oh, we go to Psalm 33. Because remember, they're trusting in Egypt. So they're trusting because their horses are mighty, their chariots are mighty. But in Psalm it tells us the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a, is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Just because the king has a huge army does not mean that the king is safe. Because those, that huge army cannot keep him from God's wrath. Now, I want you to understand, God is not telling us that we shouldn't physically prepare for some things. That we shouldn't physically prepare for the trials in our lives, you know. It's good to have some food stocked up in the cupboard. It's good to have our minds set in the right place so when trials do come, we know how to address them. It's good to know how to do some things. He's not saying don't do that, just to to wander around aimlessly waiting for God to step in and take care of everything. But we cannot, we must not put our trust in them and not seek the Lord. See, I think this is a warning to us as a nation. I, I, I'm always trying to be careful because Isaiah 31 was written for Jerusalem, Judah at that time. But there are key, there's key things in here that we need to learn from it. Why? Because we're human, and humans have never changed since the beginning of time. Since creation, we're always the same. It's the same cycle over and over again. We never learn. So there's always something we can learn. But I think there's a warning in here for us as a nation. You know, the world has spent $2 trillion in military spending in 2021. That's a hard number to just to fathom. The U.S. military spent $801 billion, or 40% of the total spent in the world. That's just what's been recorded. Our military spending easily equals the total of the next 14 nations. Are we safe? Are we, you know, we supposedly have the greatest army in the world? Are we safe? It's easy, as, easy for us to believe it. But if you ask anybody who's in the military, you ask them, are we, are we battle ready? I bet you every single one of them who's not, you know, not bought into the lie will say no. In fact, I asked somebody, on the base. I said, are we battle ready? Is the Air Force battle ready? He says, there's no way. We're not. We're not safe. The reality is that we as a nation 
are keeping God out of the equation. We are. Our leaders are keeping God, not all of them. I understand there are some really good people trying to make a difference in Washington. But I'll be honest with you. From what I've read and what I've seen for the most part, we've put God out of the equation. Secularism, pride, and our supposed wealth threaten our very existence. We've forgotten the lessons of Scripture. And this makes our nation very vulnerable. We've made God against us. Who can be for us? I said last week that, it was last week or the week before, I don't think that we're going to, this country is going to come to a problem, a crisis moment. And it won't be from the outside. It'll be from the inside. I see it happening. As verse 2 says, God will rise up against evildoers, whether they be individuals or they be nations. It doesn't matter. See, the, the problem begins a long, quite a while ago, back in the 1800s, where, where this idea, this modern view that there's nothing in the universe that's greater than man. We, they factored God out of the equation. And in the process, God is viewed as a myth. Man is the top of the evolutionary mountain, and the future of our race lies with us. See, the problem is, is that this man-made myth about man being the top makes our world even more tragic and ultimately is going to lead to what's called totalitarian evil. It's coming. I, I'm, I'm just... I've read too much and seen too much between Scripture and what I've, the people that I read to not say that we have... It's here. It's coming. And the same is true for each of us on a personal level. If we live our lives like the fullness of life comes from things that are of this earth, money, whatever it is, instead of spiritual, where we find ourselves lost, we're going to find ourselves lost in a spiritual wasteland. Money can buy us a house, it can buy us a home, but it can't buy a home. Money can put food on the table, but it can't put true laughter around the table with family. And it can't put love around the table with family. One thing that money does do is make us a very attractive target for thieves and for lawsuits. There's no security in money just as there's no security in anything that's tangible in this world. Technology, man, I love technology, but boy, it fails me all the time. There is no security in that. It failed us this morning. People, they fail you. They're going to. The goal is to have enough grace to allow them to fail you and still love them. What makes life worthwhile does not come from the world. 
but it comes from God's grace. What makes life worthwhile is the fact that Jesus came and died for us so that we could live with him forever. And so what we're going through in this life is this training ground for the next life, and we're just going through this so that we can be who God wants us to be in the next life when we're with him for eternity. See, to have God in our life is to have all things. To trust him is to be saved. Verse 4 of Isaiah, it says, For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. A lion is not afraid of the hunters when it's got its prey. It's going to fight to the death to keep it. And that's the way God is. God's going to fight for us. We know that this was before um, before King Hezekiah. Well, it was when King Hezekiah was king, but it was before Assyria was attacking and ended up being drawn away. He, God, God killed thousands of soldiers in one night, and they withdrew. In the book of Psalm, I love this. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I'd love to hear God laugh. I think it would shake me to my very soul to hear him laugh. Hopefully he doesn't laugh. Well, I pray, he probably does laugh at me. He laughs at us. He doesn't look at my creation. I love it so much. He laughs at us, the things that we do and the things we think. But he's laughing at those that are plotting against him and against his anointed. The Lord holds them in derision. In foolishness, the world rejects God. The world has factored him out, and they claim that he doesn't exist. They think that that's the end of it. If we say he doesn't exist, he's a myth, he must be a myth. Why? Because we're the smart ones. We know what we're talking about. We're the ones with the lab coats. Our lack of belief in God's existence does not negate his existence. And he laughs at our foolishness. Isaiah continues on in verse 5. It says, like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it, and he will spare and rescue it. Have you ever watched, have you ever watched, you look out and you see these little birds chasing this big bird. I don't mean Sesame Street Big Bird. I mean like a vulture. And and these little birds are attacking, and that vulture's running away because those little birds are tenacious. They don't give up. That's God protecting us. God's like a mother bird protecting her young. His plans are always going to stand, and His plans for Jerusalem and for His people, including those of us who are grafted in, is that we will be saved. Not that we're not going to go through trials, not that we're going to walk through fire at times, but ultimately, for eternity, we will be saved from the second death of an eternity in hell, if we trust in Him. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man. (laughs) Isn't that true? Just look at what goes on in our world and how many times people have planned, how many, especially in our governments, local, state, federal, doesn't matter, all the plans they have, grandiose plans. 
Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Plan, plot, do whatever you want, but it's God who directs the path. It's God who makes your steps. God who says this is the way. Remember last week I talked about the voice behind saying, go this way. That's what God does. Like an eagle protecting its nest. God is untouchable. And he can descend at any time to protect his people. But see, in order for us to be protected under his wings, we must be repentant. In the next verses, he tells them, in verses 6 and 7, he says, turn to him. Turn back to God. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. Turn back to him, people who have deeply revolted, O people of the United States, O people of Europe, of Asia, of Africa, doesn't matter. O people of the world. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have simply made for you. The people had left their trust in the Lord and have gone after other gods. Little G there. Again, we'll talk about that in my classes today and moving forward. They're far from God. And I'm afraid this is where we find ourselves in our nation today. We're like the people of Judah in 29, verse 29, chapter 29 of Isaiah, verse 13. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. We may play lip service to our faith in God, but we don't have functional faith. We cannot do that. We cannot play lip service to our faith. We have to repent. Stop our hearts from wandering from God. We must purge all the idols in our lives and we, and we, and we trust, put our trust in God alone. Now we know that in that verse, in verse 7, for in that day, we know what that is. In that day is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, everything's going to be cast away. All those idols are going to be done with. But see, our idols today, what we do is we, we've created them. We place our hearts, our trust in things other than God. And that is idolatry. But the day is coming when all those who are, have faith in Christ will put aside their idols and worship only God. But why should we wait until that day? Why don't we do it now? Let's do it now. Let's turn back to God now. This moment, with love and tears and a yearning to be embraced by him. Because God's going to do an amazing thing. Verse 8 of Isaiah 31. And Assyrians shall fall by a sword, not of man. And a sword, not of man, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword. It's not going to be another army. It's not going to be Egypt that comes in and takes care of it. It's not going to be our finances that save our lives. It's, it's not going to be the amount of, you know, number of bullets we have, number of guns we have. It's not a bad thing to have, I'll be honest with you, but it's not what's going to save us. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers 
Desert the, st- the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. So Judah's, Judah's journey to Egypt to get help is worthless because God already has a plan for it, what's going to happen. Your and my seeking out the things of this world to save us is worthless because he already has a plan for us. His plan is that we would put our trust in Jesus Christ and live daily in Christ, seeking his face, reading his word, praying, letting God direct our paths, surrendering moment by moment. God is going to save Judah as he will save us. Not only are the Assyrians not going to take Jerusalem, they're ultimately going to lose their entire kingdom because our God is a consuming fire and who can stand against him? As I've said previously, that the book of Isaiah is full of words from thousands of years ago that were very pertinent to that time. So what does it have to do with us today? The Cultural Research Center released the results of three worldview surveys that were conducted in 2021. The first of these concluded that America's dominant worldview is syncretism. What's syncretism? It's actually a worldview. It's not really a worldview, even. It's, it's rather it's a despair, irreconcilable collection of beliefs. Okay, so that means that, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I b- believe in horoscopes. I believe in the Enneagram. I believe in, you know, I believe in yoga. And I don't just mean doing the exercises. I mean the full-blown thing. I believe that, you know, there's more than one way to God. It's syncretism. You're syncretizing all the different faiths into one. That is the dominant worldview in America today. The second survey concluded that America's most popular worldview is what it could be called moralistic therapeutic deism. And components of this worldview include belief in a God who remains distant from people's lives and the universal purpose of life of being happy and feeling good about oneself. That's the popular one. It's not as dominant, but it's popular. That's things like Joel Olstein preaches. Is that worldview right there. You know, have your best life now. I was laughed at because I'm thinking, if my best life is now, that means my next life is going to be really bad. Hmm. And I mean, that means the afterlife. The third survey found that millennials are substantially more likely than previous American generations to reject biblical principles in favor of more worldly spiritual perspectives and practices. And these findings were all confirmed by Barna who showed from 2011 to 2021, people who don't believe in God has increased from 12% to 43%. Now, these surveys are troubling, yes. And our, our, our society seems to be saying that they don't want anything to do with God or the Bible, but we, we must remain faithful. We have to take courage to stand for God's truth in a world that's increasingly dark spiritually. The times ahead are going to be difficult. But we can rest and stay rooted in God and His promises. I'll never leave you or forsake you. We cannot put our trust in the things of this world and allow them to take the place of Christ in our hearts. 
it's going to be tempting to do so. We must resist that temptation. Paul gives us a good idea of what we should do. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.